So today we enter into the season of Advent. And our theme, which you may have picked up already this morning, is about the angels and how the angels help us adore our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of our Advent passages will be from the book of Revelation, and Revelation is a book that encourages discipleship and prepares us for the advent of the second coming of Jesus. So this morning, we look at the angels, and we look at their role in the life of the church, and particularly this morning, we look at their role in the life of the church of Sardis, and how the angels are encouraging the people of Sardis, but also encouraging us today to adore Jesus. To worship Jesus. These letters in the book of Revelation are written to the angels in the churches, and you'll hear that in a moment when we read from the first one of the church letters. The angels are the heavenly messengers. They're used in, in the passage here to ensure that the church gets the message. Throughout the book of uh, the Revelation, when angels are mentioned, the author John is referring to supernatural beings. He's referring to heavenly angels, heavenly messengers. And we can also assume then that this is what he means as well in these letters to the churches. It appears that somehow angels preside over the churches. The angels ensure that the churches respond in a way that pleases the Lord, in a way that brings adoration to Jesus and to his name. The message to the church, as said, is through the angel of the church. Now, it is imperative that the angels are not to be worshipped. They are created like other beings and things on this earth and in heaven. They wor- we worship our triune God. And yet the angels still have their purpose. The angels help us worship Jesus. They help us adore Jesus The angels help us as a church to be part of God's mission and and so be a witness to the world so that the world too may adore Jesus. Again, this morning we specifically look at the church of Sardis and how how does this apply to our church today? And how do the angels help us worship and adore Jesus? Before we read from Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6, let us come to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for other churches throughout history where we can learn from. Thank you for your spirit and thank you for angels and their work among us in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis... Right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I recall a uh, song by Christian contemporary band Casting Crowns. You're probably familiar with them. And maybe the song you're familiar with. It's titled, While You Were Sleeping. The song refers to the little town of Bethlehem being so unaware of what was going on on the night of the Savior's birth. So many people were unaware that God came down to earth as a baby, a human being. This song goes on to say that this was a city that had no room for a king while they were sleeping. The song then goes on to another verse and talks about Jerusalem and where Jesus had walked the streets of Jerusalem and walked the countryside and he walked among the people and died for the sins of the people. And the song indicates that they too had no room for the king while they were sleeping. And the final verse brings it to today's context and challenges us if we will be sleeping when Christ returns. In this reading, in Revelation this morning, the church of Sardis is sleeping. And the angel of the church has the purpose to wake them up. Now, I have to be honest, um, there are seven different churches in Revelation. And this Advent series that we're following this year could have chosen a church which has all praises and, and very little admonishment. And it would have been easier to preach a sermon about praises. But the series has selected, been selected for Advent, has us reading the letter this week to Sardis and next week to Laodicea. And with both these churches, there is no praises. There is only admonishment. And so it's, these letters are one of the most difficult letters to read. Having said that, even when there are no praises... With Jesus and his church, there is always hope. So let's briefly look at the context of this letter. Sardis was a great city, and it was commercially very active and very wealthy. But this was 500 years before this letter. During the time of this writing, they were well beyond their golden years. They were still wealthy, but not active. And that didn't seem to matter to them. The citizens of the city seemed to uh, be content just to rest on the fact that at one time, they lived in this great city. Again, they were still wealthy, but they were just content to just remain status quo and, and just remember the good old days. The Sardis Christian church in this city rested on the same premise. According to verse 1, they had the reputation of being alive. Again, they looked good on the outside, but the inside was a different story, and they were called dead. And in this letter, Jesus doesn't refer to any persecution that occurred within the church body. In some other churches, there was persecution going on, but not in this one. There's no mention of false teachers infiltrating and polluting the minds of the members. It was just a mediocre church, and the people were just not convicted. Satan didn't have to persecute or tempt this church because it was already dead. The church was indifferent to the gospel of Jesus. The church was complacent. The church was happy where they were. 
And again, they just kind of remain status quo. But when the church thinks they are remaining exactly the same, what often happens is a very slow fade. Lost my spot. Just give me a minute. I have no idea where I am. You can laugh because I am inside. (laughs) There we are. A church goes into a slow fade, a drifting away from the gospel, a drifting away from who God calls them to be. As this passage states, Sardis is dead. And the church of Sardis is no longer being obedient to the mission of God, even though they look alive. Jesus is all-knowing, and we read that in verse 2, where he says, I know your deeds. Jesus sees more than what humans see. Humanity sees, again, that the church has a reputation of being alive, and Jesus sees something other than a church that is alive. The reputation of Sardis may look good from the outside and to many people, but the reputation carries no weight with Jesus. It carries no weight with Jesus who gave up his life for the church. The church may have pleased people and made sure people in the church were happy, but this was not pleasing to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't only want happy people, he wants holy people. But you've got to ask, how does this church look alive but is actually dead? I don't know, the church may have been initiating and participating in several events. Maybe, I mean, regular worship probably was taking place and the sacraments were probably being celebrated and the benches may have even been full. I mean, it was a very wealthy community, which likely meant that church is wealthy as well. So things were being paid for. The unbelieving outside community were seen what appeared to be a live church, and yet this passage says it was dead. It didn't matter that the community saw the church alive, but the head of the church, the Lord of all, saw this church was dead. It probably was just considered like a community club or community center. So Jesus rebuked them with these words. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Again, Jesus, all-knowing, he knows the deeds, but he says here that he's found them unfinished. Did they have good ideas? Good initiative? But maybe just never completed the ministry plan? Were they expressing excitement about certain ministries and nobody wanted to do anything about it? Maybe they just wanted to talk about what could be? They must have been going through the motions because they looked alive. Or maybe unfinished business means that the church is busy. The people are so busy, but they're not busy doing the right things. They're busy, but they're not busy doing what God calls them to do, evangelism, and not busy making disciples in the community and in the nations. The church is complacent. It's indifferent. Meaning that the church is not being obedient to God in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. The gospel message wasn't being shared. The message of the mission of God, rather, was not being lived out by the people. Again, the church has slowly drifted away from the gospel message and God's mission. 
Now let's be reminded again for a moment what the gospel message is and then what the church needs to do with the gospel message, the mission. The gospel message is Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The gospel message is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him does not perish but has eternal life. Gospel message, good news. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So the gospel message is clearly and completely one of grace and love. Bottom line. And the gospel message is to be preached in this church of Sardis and by the church of Sardis. The gospel message is not one of condemnation. Condemnation by Jesus, by Jesus, will be appropriate at times, but that's not the gospel. That's a response to the gospel. The gospel is first and foremost what Jesus has done for his people through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and eventually his second coming. And now having heard the gospel message of Jesus, the gospel message of grace and love, the church should be living out the mission of God, which is proclaiming this very message to others. Not proclaiming what the church is against, but proclaiming what the church stands for. Jesus Christ, his amazing grace. But this church is dead. Sardis is dead. And the response that needs to occur in the church of Sardis is to wake up so that other, others around can come to know the saving power of Jesus and to have a relationship with Jesus. God wants Sardis to wake up so that it can be a light in this dark world. God calls Sardis to wake up so that this church can be a witness to those around them. Again, today, there are many churches that may look alive, but the Spirit of Jesus may see them differently. And it's too easy for a church, for the people, to slowly drift away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, to seek and to save the lost. Too easy to not follow God's mission. Maybe because it's too easy that where people in the church just become too busy. We're so busy with work and play and life. What happens is our priorities end up lying elsewhere. And we're drifting slowly to the gods of the culture. And we cannot say, well, it won't happen here. People of God, we need to be aware and intentional and continue to be obedient to our God. Or in other cases, there's churches that get sidetracked with discussing issues. And then these issues become the priority of the church over the gospel. Over the mission. We have seen this at times in the CRC denomination. We've seen it in other denominations. And we will see it again. The point is not that the issues are unimportant, but that the gospel is the priority. See, the book of Revelation is about a battle. The battle between good and evil. And it was present in those days. It continues to be present today. And churches are becoming less and less obedient to the gospel message. We are looking alive with programs, but are we obedient to the gospel message? And are we on mission for Jesus? 
again, even in this passage, in this letter, without praise, we still got to see the hope. Because this letter can still be encouraging. In this passage, the angel is pointing the church back again to adoring Jesus Christ. Pointing everybody's eyes and hearts and minds to Jesus. Again, verse 1 states that these words are the words of Jesus. And Jesus, as it says, is the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits of God are believed to refer to the one Holy Spirit. Why seven, though? Because a number of seven is being used often in Scripture as symbolic of completeness, fullness. So Jesus and the Spirit are one. There is a completeness. There is a fullness. And the Holy Spirit has many tasks. And one of his tasks is to point the church towards Jesus. But when the church is dead, like Sardis, it's difficult, if not impossible, to hear what the Spirit is saying. Because when it's dead, like, it's hard for anybody to be listening. The Holy Spirit of Jesus is in this church. He is walking among them. But the people are not relying on the Holy Spirit. And they're missing opportunities of God's mission. Sharing the gospel of grace and love. Their work becomes unfinished. But Jesus does not give up on this church. He doesn't give up on his church. You've got to appreciate the patience of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. So Jesus summons this dead church to wake up. Now, when he says this, when he says wake up, it doesn't, this does not mean to just, again, simply have this reputation of being alive. No, it means that you're actually living. Wake up and don't just look alive, be alive. And in this passage, wake up indicates a, a continued state of being. And what that means is it's not just a once and for all wake up call, but it's a, a call that says, keep waking up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Keep waking up. Keep asking why you're doing what you're doing. Keep reforming. Keep transforming. And then Jesus goes on to say, strengthen and remains. Which will strengthen what remains and is about to die. You see, there is hope. There is an inkling of life in this church of Sardis. And Jesus will send his spirit to revive the church. It's like a smoldering ember that needs this kind of new wind to get it on fire again. Strengthen that which remains. Put your gifts to use. Put your strengths to action. Be vulnerable to the working of the Holy Spirit within the church. And then the people are told to remember. And the term remember doesn't only refer to recalling their past and their traditions. Remembering the past has its place in the church. But again, it can sometimes work against the church as it did here with Sardis. Remember, in this passage, refers to, yes, thinking back, but remembering God's faithfulness. And how does God's faithfulness impact the present and the future of the church? Remembering is not so much as saying, well, this is how it used to be for Sardis like 500 years ago. But more about saying, where does, has God continued to be faithful in his church? 
And then use this to remember where God has been faithful. Use this to look forward, to respond to God's call for the church in the future. And Jesus further challenges this church to remember and hold fast because God is faithful. He's merciful. And he is ready to forgive. Hold on to his promises. Hold on to the fact and the assurance that God is our God and we are his people. And the final challenge in this passage, which is given to many of the churches in Revelation, is to repent. Now the Greek word for repent, it's metanoia, but it's translated to change. So when you hear repent, it's to change. The church must change, repent from disobedience. And it must repent and change from resisting, from falling away from God's mission. God is a forgiving God who is always willing to forgive the sins of the people. But his people need to repent. As a church, we too must repent of the things that we're not supposed to be doing and seek God in his will and discern what it is that he desires us to do. It's, going, it's us going in a certain direction and us needing to change a 180 to repent. It's like the verse in Isaiah 30, 21. Verse there says, whether you go to the left or to the right, your ears will hear a voice saying behind you, this is the way, walk in it. So we may have to do an about face. Jesus is equipping and building his church, not to be a Christian church in name only, but to be a Christian church in action, to be the ones that he calls and sends out in his name. We're not called by Jesus simply to be saved. And when he comes again, we say, hallelujah, we're saved. That's exciting. But not only to be saved, we're saved for a purpose. We have been elected. We've been chosen by God for a purpose. We have been chosen to follow Jesus and to share the gospel message with others. Because this gives God glory. This pleases the Lord. So why do we come together on Sundays? Why do we come together as a church during the week? We're called together to hear the word, to hear the preaching, to be affirmed that Jesus loves you and that Jesus saves you, and to share this message with others. Preaching is important, but preaching is useless if we're not putting it into action. That's where this passage says the deeds of the church goes unfinished. If people are not putting faith into action, it's unfinished. We can be talking all we want, and we can have the greatest intentions. But as James says, faith without actions is dead. But despite our action and inact- or inaction, I want to say that Jesus remains active, and he remains faithful. In Sardis, there was a small remnant that remained. And by God's grace, it was by God's grace that this remnant remained. As verse 4 states, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, and they will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. 
It's not that these people are without sin or do not need renewal, but they will be dressed in white. Their sins will be washed away, white as snow. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been freely offered the gift of salvation. He has removed all our sins, past, present, future. And he walks with us wherever we go. He is with us always to the end of the age. People, today we celebrated. We celebrated communion. And part of communion is remembering Remembering God's faithfulness. Part of it is celebrating, celebrating God's faithfulness. A big part of communion is receiving Jesus Christ. And when we receive Christ into our hearts and into our lives, how are we going to keep waking up? How are we going to keep waking up and share the good news of Jesus with others? Remember, good news is good news. It's not condemnation. This Advent, the angels are encouraging our church to celebrate and to adore Jesus. And so let's put aside our differences, put, put aside where maybe we don't even agree on all things, but let's celebrate what we do agree on, what we do have in common. Let's celebrate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that he has been offered to each one of us. Not for anything we've done, for everything that he's done. We've been granted for forgiveness of all our sins on account of Jesus. And we too are worthy for what God has done through his son. So brothers and sisters, glory to our God and to our Savior. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Spirit God, Savior God, we rejoice in this season of anticipation and rejoice that you became flesh and made your dwelling among us. And now we wait and we long for your return. And as we wait, we continue to reflect on all our blessings and thanksgivings that you provide to us, to your people. We're grateful for the beauty of creation, even this morning with the ice and the storms, and your continued work among us in this world. We are grateful for your church and how you love your church and that you send your angels and your spirit to equip and to build your church here on this earth to build your kingdom. May we be obedient to your spirit's promptings and to the message that you are sending to us, the message of the gospel of Jesus and how we can be used to share this light, this good news with others. Father, where we have fallen short in this, we confess. And we confess that there are times that we are too busy. We confess that our priorities are messed up. And so we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we repent of our shortcomings. We want to change to your will. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And through your angels and your spirit, keep waking us up to your will and to your ways. May we come to adore you for all that you are and all that you do. And it's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.